One of the things that I love about living in Michigan is that we have all four seasons. I would not want to live somewhere where it felt like one long hot summer with an extra hot summer in the middle. And I would not want to live somewhere where it was just cold or rainy or whatever all the time. I like the variety. And yet every time I say that, someone else who lives here will correct me and say, no, there's only two seasons in Michigan, winter and road construction. That is the, that is the uh, idiom. And I don't think that's true. Because I noticed this year that as winter was coming and the snow started to fly and the temperature started to dip, that's when road construction really ramped up. Did anyone else notice this? They were like, oh, it's getting cold out and it's going to snow. Let's start some projects. And out came more and more orange barrels. And you would think that the sight of these orange barrels would excite us as Michiganders. Because we need the work. Okay, a, a outside auditing group looking at roads in different states determined that more than 40% of our roads are in poor condition. And it's been determined that 10% of our 11,000 bridges are structurally deficient and need work. And so you'd think that the sight of the work being done would bring relief, comfort. And yet here is my great hypocrisy. As much as I complain about how bad the roads are and how they need to be fixed, I also complain when the roads are being fixed and they inconvenience me. I often try to justify it in my mind by suggesting that there are different roads somewhere else that would be better uh, attended to because these aren't quite as bad as those. But the fact of the matter is I don't want smoother, safer roads later on. I want a quicker trip right now. That is where I stand. Now I know in my head that it's good, that later on things will be better and that delayed gratification is a good thing. I also know that it's good for me, a guy who tends to be impatient, especially when driving, to be forced to slow down, to be forced to become aware of my speed, that that's a good thing. That it can be a good thing to be made to go a different route than we usually go and to experience a place, a, a, a neighborhood, a street, a locale where we rarely go. That can be good. And that in a world where people are kind of continually on cruise control, driving fast as they think they can get away with while eating and putting on makeup and texting and yelling at all the cars around them, it, there are worse things than being made to hit the brakes slow down and focus on where we are and what we're doing. That's a good thing. And yet, when I see the road work ahead sign, at best, I groan in frustration. If you want to know what I do at worst, ask Aaron later. Aaron, don't tell them. <laughs> now, you can probably guess where I'm going with this, the spiritual application. It might be suggested that road work ahead is a metaphor for the Christian life. What we call sanctification as God works on us. You know, you see these signs that say slow, drive slow, men working. There are probably people working at some point now, but, but drive slow, there's, there's work ahead. We could, as Christians, put up signs that said slow, God working. God working, slow down. God is at work. He's building us up. He's making us new. We read in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are God's handiwork, his workmanship, one translation says. We are what he is building. 1 Peter 2.5, we read that we are living stones, that the Lord is shaping and, and growing and building up into a spiritual house. And yet building is difficult if we won't slow down. 
I've often put off getting my car fixed because I needed it to get around, and I've often thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could just go to Tony and say, Tony, he's my mechanic, how about, he's a little guy, how about you just kind of get under the hood while I drive around, you can see what's wrong, you can fix it on the go, it doesn't work that way. And yet we're not very good at this. We know Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God, and yet we don't often stop to be still and know that he is God. And that's, I think, why this word is so important in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh, he maketh me lie down in green pastures. I wasn't going to, but then he maketh me. Because none of us are going to do it at least not consistently, unless he maketh us. We've all got a million things going on. We've got work stuff, family stuff, bills to pay, appointments to keep straight. Plus, you made 19 New Year's resolutions, which are taking up less and less time every day as you let them go. But still, we're focused on so many things. And none of those are bad of themselves. But refusing to ever slow down is. I've heard recently people talking about margin in our lives. I think that is a very astute way to put this. Think about a page, a piece of paper, and how generally a professor will tell you to keep a margin around the outside. Right? You want to, usually, if you're trying to hit a certain page length in college, you'll make the margins bigger. Then you get to grad school, and they're like, no longer than this many pages. And you go, oh, now I've got to make the margins smaller. But have you ever tried to read a page that had almost no margin, and the text is just smashed in there? A one inch around, that's standard. Now, what if I asked you, just don't, don't do any math, real quick, how much of the page do you think is taken up by a one inch margin around eight and a half by 11? Shout it out. 10%, maybe 15, maybe 20. It's actually 37% of the page is the margin. That is that counting all the white space in the middle between words, between lines. It's so that you can look at the page and not get this horrible headache-inducing vertigo that comes from staring at, you know, trying to read Karl Barth, where the, the uh, footnotes at the bottom are, are more than the text at the top, and they're in three-point font, and there's no space between them. And, and you, you say, I, I, I need some margin here. And we need margin in our lives. And we need help in this department. And God will often help us. Any of you who have followed Jesus for any amount of time, I'm sure can tell a story about how at one point God slowed you down or brought you to a stop, brought you into a divine construction zone. And you see, looking back, that it was the best thing for you. I did need that. I was just boom, blowing right through life, and, and I was giving very little attention to God, maybe to my family, maybe to other things that needed my attention, but I was just, I was moving so quick until God slowed me down. But in the moment, we often react the way we do when Elaine unexpectedly ends with orange barrels, and Google Maps shows a long stretch of red in the road ahead, and we bang on the steering wheel and say, why me? That's the thing that I do. But we tend, I think, to default in that direction. There's a couple examples from my life from the last week. I was reading an article in Christianity Today, and I'm reading through it, and I'm reading it carefully because I'm interested in the topic. And then I realized that I got to a quote from the scriptures that was indented, and that because I was already familiar with that passage, I quickly skimmed it. 
Here I am reading carefully the words of a man who's just giving us his opinion, and I quickly skim over the very word of God that gives life. I needed to be stopped, slowed down at least. Or I've started, I've told like a lot of people, I want them to join me in this Bible reading plan this year. Uh, it's called the McShane's Reading Plan, and I've been reading four different readings every morning, and there's this really cool podcast that D.A. Carson did every day, a little reflection on it. And I was listening to the podcast after doing the reading on my way to the church, and I realized, you know, this is probably not the best way to do it. Because I'm distracted, uh, there's people, you know, on Cedar Street, there's always people trying to get hit. They're like, I don't see anyone, you'll stop. And, and I, was, I was all distracted. I got here and I thought, you know what, I'm going to just take some time and listen to it. I'm going to listen to it without all the distractions. And I put on my headphones and I hit play and I, and I thought, man, what a, what a good Christian I am. That I'm taking the time to focus on nothing else but just this text. I looked at the phone that I was using to listen to the podcast and realized that what I had given God was three minutes and 51 seconds. That was what I couldn't spare, so I had to listen to it while I was en route. But we're continually doing this, getting distracted by moving forward, getting things done, speeding through life, and then God will come along and say, I'll make if you lie down in some green pastures. And often, even as we groan and complain, we know it is good for us. Now, I have to say, makes me lie down in green pastures may be a touch misleading. There is no verb there that means to force someone to do something in the Hebrew. What it is, you don't care. It's a hithil verb for lie down. It might be translated, he lets me lie down in green pastures. And even if that's what it means, it's clear to me, as I'm sure it is to you, that sometimes it's obvious if we're going to do this, if we're going to find some green pastures, if we're going to stop, we're going to let our soul be restored, we're going to sit beside the still waters, he will have to make me do it, because I will not. You may be struggling with this already in the new year, having said, I will spend time in scripture and prayer. I'll have devotions, whether in the morning or at night or both. And now you say, well, I don't know. I mean, I've got hard decisions ahead this week that require my attention. I've got, I've got a paper to write for a class, or I've got a huge project at work, or I've got a sick child or an aged parent that I need to care for. There's all this going on. Maybe I give myself a pass just this week. I want to remind you who wrote this. He had a hard job. His name was David, and he was the king of Judah and Israel, all of God's people. Now, we think he probably wrote this when he was a shepherd, but maybe not. Maybe he wrote it later on, because a lot of his imagery is drawn from the world of shepherding. He remembers the time that he spent tending his sheep. And even as king, it's obvious that he knew he needed a shepherd. He needed a shepherd who would make him lie down in green pastures and lead him beside the still waters and restore his soul. It is telling that a king who is ruling over, and I mean, a king has to do a lot of things, and yet he had time to stop and write psalms, to stop and meditate on God's word and rejoice and pray and all of these things. But even more significant than David doing this is the fact that in the Gospels, Jesus is continually slowing down coming to a stop, going off by himself 
in order to be spiritually restored and fed. You find it in all the Gospels, even in Mark. And I say even in Mark because Mark, he's the, he's the quick one. He's quick, moving, moving, moving. It's been called the Gospel of Action. It's the shortest one. Gets right into it. Doesn't even, doesn't even have a Christmas story. Gets right into the action. And it's often said that he's the immediately gospel. Because his favorite word seems to be euthus in the Greek, which means immediately. Immediately this happened. Immediately that happened. And yet he still takes time to tell us that Jesus would often go by himself and stop and slow down. Mark 1.35. We're in the first chapter. And we read, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Well, he must not have been busy that day, right? No. What, what comes right before it? That evening at sundown, this is the night before, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he got up and he, he went away from the house to a secluded place, was praying there. Right after that, we have the whole thing where the leper comes to him and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I'm willing, be clean. There's a lot to do. And that's why he takes the time to slow down, to hit the brakes. The next chapter, we read, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. Jesus is often walking beside the lake. It's not always because there's guys down there he wants to call to follow him. It's often because he just wants to go and be alone in a beautiful place. Chapter 6, we read, Because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Matthew also highlights this, of course. In Matthew 14, we read, After Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, when evening came, he was still there alone. Luke does the same thing. He tells us in Luke 11, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. It was when they were watching him go off to pray that they said, wow, how does he do that? How is he praying that long? What kind of prayers are these? And he gives them this model prayer, which we call the Lord's Prayer. In fact, Luke sums it up nicely in Luke 5.16, when we read these words, but Jesus himself would often slip away to empty places and pray. Jesus himself would often slip away to empty places and pray. I was planning to go through and count the number of times that it tells us Jesus did this, whether a, a general statement or a specific situation, but I lost track and kind of got bored and gave up. It's a lot. Trust me, it's a lot. And yet, I tend to continually think of myself as just a little busier. I mean, you know, I mean, it was a few years ago, uh, probably 10 years ago, on a holy week, when I remember thinking, wow, it's, it's like Thursday, and I haven't had any time for prayer to be fed myself, to be in the Word for my own edification, not preparing a message, not preparing a lesson, but just to be in the Word. And then I thought, well, it is holy week. God knows. He knows I'm preaching four times this week. And one of those is the big one, the 11 o'clock on Easter, when I really got to be on. And then as we were in the midst of the Good Friday service, and I had had these thoughts, it occurred to me, on that first Holy Week, Jesus was busier. Do you ever think of all the stuff Jesus did in that first Holy Week? He comes into Jerusalem in the midst of praise and jeers and threats. 
He curses a fig tree. He purges the temple of money changers. He taught again and again in the temple to the crowds. He rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees at length. He evaded capture by his enemies. He, he supervised and oversaw the planning of the logistics of the Passover. Yes, he delegated, but he had to say, okay, listen, there's going to be a guy. You're going to say this to him. He's going to say this back to you. And then you say this. He had to oversee the whole thing. You'd think that would be below his pay grade, and yet he does it. He washed his disciples' feet. He comforted them and instructed them about what to expect after this. He instituted the Lord's Supper and all of that before the quote-unquote big events in which he was arrested and dragged before Caiaphas and Pilate and Herod, carried his cross to Golgotha, died for the sins of the world, preached to the souls in Hades, presented his blood in the greater tabernacle, as we read in Hebrews 9, and then rising from the dead. And yet, right before all that stuff, the Thursday and Friday stuff, he took time, we don't know how long exactly, but it seems like it was at least a couple hours to go off by himself and find time to be in prayer, to hit the brakes, to slow down, to come to a stop, and to be prepared for his soul to be restored, to be beside the still waters of God's love and be prepared for what was to come. It's always nice when something slows us down. It's not always nice in the moment, but it's always nice in retrospect. There's a week for us, and it just happened, where everything kind of stops and slows down, and uh, sometimes I, I hear the, the gears of my transmission kind of grinding you can tell I don't know much about cars, but, you know, as I try to slow, it's, it's, it's not working because I say, oh, I still have all this going on. And yet we've got Christmas and we've got New Year's Eve. Before that comes my anniversary. I know my anniversary. It's the 30th of December. I just twisted them around. And then Aaron's birthday. And we've got all these things. So we're traveling to Grand Rapids. We're going to Bay City. And it makes me just kind of stop. And that's a nice thing. And it's the, the least uncomfortable kind of orange cones that I think I see on this narrow road to life. God often has to resort to something bigger to slow us down. An illness or some other crisis to bring us to a stop, to bring us back to himself. A friend of mine, Greg Dutcher, who's a pastor in Baltimore, recently had to come to a point of absolute collapse psychologically. He, he, he told me, uh, actually, he, he and I kind of do a podcast together. Uh, he comes on it often, and he was talking about this experience, that he had been sleeping three or four hours a night at most, that he had been pushing himself more and more because his church was growing. He had not been willing to let go of anything. He had been not in the Word, except for to prepare messages, except for praying in a meeting, and that was more for the audience than for God. He had become dry because he had his the, the pedal to the metal and his foot to the floor the whole time. And God had to bring him to a, a total panic attack kind of collapse to draw him back to himself. He said it was the best thing that could have possibly happened to me. It's so easy when nothing's going wrong and we've got our foot to the floor. It's so easy to miss God's work in our lives because we're busy looking for something bigger or better or faster. And in our haste, we often blow right by people who could use our help or a kind word or prayer, people who could help restore our souls or us their souls or both because iron sharpens iron. And this is a, a total human thing. This is not unique to the church. It's something, I think, intrinsic to the fall and wanting to be self-sufficient. In 2015, 
the Houston airport found that they were getting more and more complaints about how long people had to wait at the baggage carrier return thing where you sit there and that, that uh, little belt goes around, here comes my suitcase. They had to wait and wait and wait. And so they said, we're gonna just focus on this. They hired more people, they streamlined, they got more efficient. They cut it down to an absolute industry low. No one was faster than this airport in Houston. There were eight minutes from when you got off the plane to when your luggage arrived. And yet there was no dip in the number of complaints. Everyone was still upset that they had to wait. And so they hired a guy who was an expert in waiting. I don't know how you become one, but he was an expert in this sort of thing. And he said, listen, the problem is they get off the plane, they're in a hurry. It takes exactly one minute to walk from almost any terminal here to your baggage claim area. And so the next seven minutes, they're just standing there going, but I'm not doing anything, but I'm not moving forward, but I'm not making progress. What's the problem here? Getting madder and more upset. And so what they did is they moved the baggage claim further away. Now it takes six, seven minutes, eight minutes, nine minutes, depending on what gate you're coming from to get to the baggage claim. And often your bag is already there waiting for you. And no one complained. It wasn't the waiting, it was that they were like, oh, I'm not moving forward, I'm not moving quickly, I'm not doing anything, I'm not, I'm not on this moving sidewalk and also walking forward. Listen, even if he doesn't make us lie down in green pastures, but lets us lie down in green pastures, if he is our shepherd, it's essentially the same thing. If he leads us beside the still waters, this isn't some optional add-on day trip you can sign up for amongst the sheep. No, he leads the flock. You follow him, and he says, lie down. He leads us beside the still waters. He, he maketh us, he letteth us, see, whatever. We, we are able to, to, to lie down in the green pastures because of his word and his provision. This reminds me of all these Sabbath rules that we see in the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, as people uh, amongst the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they come in and they, they hone in on Jesus and his disciples because they're breaking the Sabbath rules. The Pharisees had added hundreds of rules to what was already quite a large number of regulations in God's law until Jesus called them on the fact that they were worshiping the rules and not the God who gave them the Sabbath. He reminded them, you don't exist to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for you. The Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. But if that's the case, why did God give all the rules to begin with? To maketh you lie down in green pastures. So that you would slow down and take a moment to look at yourself and your soul. To look at God and his holiness. To ask him to form you and build you up into living stones that build a holy house. This is how shepherds work. To this day, shepherds will use what's called a leg break. Don't worry, Kathy, B-R-A-K-E. They don't break the leg. A leg break to slow down particularly mischievous sheep and teach them to stay close to the shepherd. It's like, like a weight that makes them kind of hobble and I, I can't run around as fast as I could and go off and get in trouble and get picked off by a predator. He leads us beside the still waters he makes us lie down in green pastures. He restores our souls. And maybe right now you're going into one of these divine construction zones. You're, you're maybe backed up two miles in traffic with every other lane closed to push the metaphor maybe a little too far. And that may be the best thing for you. 
He lets you lie down in the green pasture in the midst of that. He leads you beside still water. He makes you slow down and hit the brakes so he can restore your soul and build you up. We almost never would choose now for one of these construction zones to come into our lives. Maybe once in a while when we're exhausted, but most of the time we say, no, that would be more convenient next week, next month, some other time. But the fact is we know it will be worthwhile when the project is done. Just as when I see all these orange cones and I go, oh, oh, come on, I can't go down Mount Hope now, that's the way I go home. It means it's going to be a nicer road, smoother, better. Make straight the way for Zach to get home. And yet, in the moment, I think, oh, I'd rather have the bumpy road. Listen, God will work out in you what he has started. The project is destined to be completed. Philippians 1. And I am sure of this, Paul writes, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's take time to slow down, even without being made to, even without coming across closed lanes and orange barrels. Let us take time to slow down and listen, to be in his word, to be in prayer like Jesus, to often go to an empty place or a desolate or lonely place or whatever translation, off somewhere where we can be not distracted by all of life. And whoops, I forgot my phone, so that can't lead me astray either. And focus on him, that he will build us up. And of course, one of the most important ways in which we do this is here at the altar, at the Lord's table, as we come together to worship him by being fed by the bread and the cup, the blood and the body of our Lord Jesus. As we prepare for this, center your heart and ask God, if I am going quickly in my mind, if I've been all over the place mentally and barely caught any of that message, slow me down, bring me to a stop, help me to focus on you and what you've done for me and what you're doing in me, even if only for a few minutes.